Welcome to the 100 Entrepreneurs Podcast, created to provide veterans and their family members with information, ideas, and inspiration for starting new businesses. This is Amanda Weathersby for 100 Entrepreneurs Foundation. We talk with entrepreneurs and small business experts to learn more about their industries and their lessons learned in creating and growing new businesses. Thank you for joining us. I'm so glad that Jim O'Farrell has joined us today to talk about his business. He's a veteran, and he has a government contracting business, and he uh, has a great deal of experience in finding his place, the business that made, made him happy. So I'm very excited to talk to you today, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you for having me today. Great. Yes, I'm a Navy yeah. veteran. I I, mm-hmm. I went to the Naval Academy and graduated in 1989, and I did serve for five years in the Navy, and it was a wonderful experience. Oh, great, great. So tell us more about your background and how did you come to be uh, an owner of a very now large, <laughs> getting to be very large, uh, government contracting business? Well, I I got out of the Navy and I went to work for uh, AT&T and I was actually selling phone systems and uh, while it was interesting work, you got to meet a lot of different people, I felt like I wanted to have a, you know, serve, continue to serve and be focused maybe back more on the government sector and be able to be part of a bigger mission, something bigger than myself. And so I went to work at KPMG Consulting, and from there I uh, I had some interesting you know contracts that I worked on there um, at places like National Institutes of Health, and then went to Booz Allen and worked with organizations like the American Red Cross and got to transform the IRS. Um, it was some very <laughs> fun times, uh, really exciting and interesting work, and then went to EDS. Um, after that, Ross Perot's old company, and from there, I was at uh, a company called um, AMS and uh, was contacted by a friend of mine from the Naval Academy who said, you know, would you like to come over and work with us here? We're starting up a little company called Portal Dynamics, and I did that, and it was I really got the bug for the small business um, and so uh, from there, I spent four years there and then went to a company called Applied Knowledge Group, and I was their chief operating officer. And once again, it was um, sort of a, a startup, and we were growing and, and um, doing lots of interesting work. Um, and then uh, in 2000 and early 2010, um, I joined my business partner, and we have a company now called Advanced Management Strategies Group, AMSG. And uh, so that's where, how I got where I am today. And so did you realize you would be starting your own business early on, or was this, uh, was this a goal, or did you just it happen abs- to do it later? <laughs> yeah, it was always a goal, and I think the longer I was in the large businesses, the more I kind of wanted to do my own thing. Um, and I, you know, I always, I look back on my even, you know, growing up years, um, I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland. I, when I was 10 years old, I had a paper route. And when I was in high school, I worked in restaurants. And so I was always working. Um, and I, you know, I, I do, or I'm passionate about my work. And, um, so having that goal on the horizon, you know, that at some point I knew that I would want to be doing my own thing. That was important to me. Right. 
did it help you to start your own business to have all of that experience working in consulting beforehand? Did you learn how to, uh, to, the process worked and so forth? Yeah, I think absolutely. There were certain things that were very, you're, you know, you're, I was um, uh, having that experience really helped with things like understanding how the government marketplace works, um, the transformation that's been going on there for about the past 15 years um, from a much more disorganized sales process and business development process to much more organized um, uh, process. Um, so, for example, in the past, when you were trying to get a contract with the government, a lot of times it was based on personal relationships um, and who do you know and things like that. And over the past 10 or 15 years, the, gov- the federal government has really moved more to uh, kind of a structured and organized model um, in a lot of the federal agencies um, they they put out um, RFPs, requests for proposal for things like uh, to do an IDIQ, um, which is another, a lot of this is alphabet soup, but indef- indefinite mm-hmm. delivery, indefinite quantity. It's, it's like a hunting license. So you have to compete to get the hunting license at a federal agency, federal department, and then you compete against the winners of that hunting license. You compete for task orders against that. So it's, mm. um, it's much more formalized. Um, and as they're going, taking you through the process of basically an analyzing your business, um, they're looking at how are you, how are you building your rates? How much are you charging the government? Um, is it a legitimate, you know, charge and things like that. So that's been kind of a transformation. And then, so back to your question about did the experience help? I think the thing that, that wasn't as helpful was a lot of times being in a large business, you had you always had people to do certain things like do contracts administration or financial management, um, things like that. Um, so you, were, you got really good in consulting at doing the capture of the business and then doing the execution of the business at the customer f- uh, point. But as far as the back office administration, that wasn't always uh, something that you were exposed to because there were people who specialized in that, um, people who maybe were uh, unbill- you know, not billable to a client. They were the ones doing that in the back office, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah. So suddenly you didn't have all that support when you That's started correct. your business. Yeah. yeah, so then you – so one thing we did early on was we outsourced the back office um, to a, a company called C2 Essentials, um, and they're similar. They're much smaller, but similar in some ways to like a Paychex um, mm-hmm. type of company that they handle your um, they handle your financials, they handle your payroll, they handle um, any if you ever need a an employment lawyer and things like that. They have that all um, built into your monthly fee. Hmm. That's great. Uh, so when you uh, Working where you were working with uh, EDS and and the other consulting firms, the you said that you learned the process, even though it, it changed. Government contracting sales process changed. Uh, what what are the top things that you learned about? You know the, the things that you you would recommend for people to know more about it before they start their own business in this area. Um, yeah, I mean I think that. Um, I was thinking about this before our call. You know, how do you how do you get how do you get started? And one of the ways to do that is um, to to you know join a team 
be part of a team that, you know, maybe General Dynamics or, or uh, Lockheed Martin or Boeing or some big company like that has a uh, contract with a government agency and you, you have a relationship with um, the, either the customer side or the, the folks in the large business and you can join that team um, as a subcontractor. And so one mm-hmm. good way to start your business is to get one or two of those subcontracting opportunities. So you can kind of learn the ropes from a larger business while you're getting, uh, you're generating income, you know, revenue and income to support yourself and um, other employees that you bring on slowly. Uh, that's something that we've always focused on is kind of rather than the roller coaster ride where the highs can be high and the lows can be really low, it's rather to, than doing that, just kind of measured growth year, year upon year upon year. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay, so you uh, have been in business for how long? How long has advanced management um, strategies yeah, about, been? Just, just about 10 years now. 10 years. And have you found an advantage for uh, being a veteran and getting the work from uh, your contractors or the government itself? Yes, absolutely. There are advantages to being a service-disabled veteran, which I am, and also just being a veteran because the government um, puts veterans in a special category um, where they uh, limit the competition, um, and depending on the size of your business, uh, as as long as you stay underneath certain dollar thresholds, if you know when you're under those thresholds, then the competition can often be limited. There is still competition. There isn't. There's no free lunch, but there is. But it's somewhat more limited. You may not be competing against Lockheed Martin, for example. You know, the largest defense contractor on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, rather, you're competing against other veteran-owned small businesses. And this is the mm-hmm. most prevalent in the when you're looking at doing work with the Department of Veterans Affairs. They provide the most contracts um, per year, the most contracts and contracting dollars to um, veteran-owned small businesses. Hmm. Great. So, um, and so 10 years, and uh, have you been recruiting people busily every single year, growing in leaps and bounds? Has it been pretty much a constant upturn? <laughs> um, it's, we, we, yeah, we always used to talk about um, having um, – you know, measured growth and, and trying to grow from existing customers each year and then trying to add a new customer from, you know, a different customer segment. Um, so what we try to talk about, what we talk about is we started with, say, the, the Defense Department and the warfighter because we were, you know, we're vet, a lot of us in the company are veterans, so it's, an, it's, it's something that we know. And then we expanded out from there to the Department of Veterans Affairs because the Department of Defense creates veterans. And so it's something that we, you know, we are veterans and we can understand that space as well. And then staying with the warfighter idea, the Department of Homeland Security is another version of warfighters and have a similar type of mission, which is to defend our, the homeland. And so from there, uh, you know, once we had gotten work uh, with the Department of Defense, whether it's with the Marine Corps or the Army or the Navy, then we expanded to the Department of Veterans Affairs. Then we had some work at the Department of Homeland Security. And then, um, you know, there were other opportunities that came about just because of relationships, partnerships that we had with other companies um, that we've now expanded into what we call the federal civilian sector, which is 
say, the Department of Treasury, um, you know, other um, Department of Interior. So, you know, non-defense-focused um, agencies. Hmm. Interesting. And do you have one particular area that you specialize in, uh, you know, for example? Yeah, it's a fairly... Yeah, it's a fairly um, large area in the government. Um, you know, m- much of the government, the federal government, is made up of programs that are being funded by the government. So one of our big um, areas of focus is program management. So we help the government stand up programs and then manage them through their life cycle. Um, mm-hmm. We also help the government with something that's called acquisition support. So we help the government. Uh, when I mentioned before about doing competitions, we some we get we have contracts where we help the government put the RFP, the request for proposal, out on the street, as it's called, to be competed on. And then we'll help them organize everything so they can do the evaluation of the the responses that they get to the RFPs, and then make the award. Hmm. Great. Um, and so how do you do recruiting for your business? Because it sounds as though if you're, if you're managing programs ongoing, it's really critical to have great people, as probably it always is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's definitely the, something that we focus on the most. And it's, you know, we always, the mantra at AMSG is people are our most, are our most important resource because they're the ones that are actually inter- interacting with the customer every day. They're the ones that are delivering the value that the customer is paying for. And so uh, we use, um, the, you know, the most, we've tried many different tools, um, uh, and the one that we find the most useful these days is Indeed.com, um, is something that has been very effective. Um, we go to um, different um, if you want to call them trade shows and things like that, networking events and try to meet people as well. Um, but, you know, the on, in the online world, Indeed.com, LinkedIn um, are very effective. And then in the physical world, going to trade shows and uh, networking events where you kind of know that people are going to be there. So, for example, if we're looking for Microsoft SharePoint, experts, then we might go to the SharePoint user group in Washington, D.C. Um, to meet people. Mm. Great. Great. And uh, have you needed funding or was it self-funded just by It was all self-funded. Yeah, just using that idea of having a couple of subcontracts that can allow, put some money into the business uh, while you start growing until you get your first prime contract. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of people talk about is the, the desire for prime contracts versus having subcontracts. Um, at, when you're the prime, you're in charge. Sometimes companies, want, they want that so desperately that they become the prime maybe too early in their life cycle and they're not really prepared with the back office functionality to do that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, it's, there's, there has to be a, you know, a, a balance to it and also a, you know, certain things should happen at a certain time. Not, you can't rush things. That's where companies, I think, in the federal market get into, into trouble is when they try to do too much priming too fast. Interesting. It, just for those of us who've never been in the government contracting business, uh, how would you say, how fast is too fast? I mean, what, what kind of experience do you need before you become a prime contractor? I'd say two to three years. Yeah? Yeah. That's great. Okay. Um, 
All right. So uh, you have a partner, a business partner, correct? Yes, that's correct. His name is Mike McCormick. He's a retired Marine. Uh, and a long time we were lo- we were friends that's another good thing is we were friends for a long time before we started the business and that makes a difference you think yeah i think so because knowing each other on a personal level is when you know when times get tough it you tend to make it through a lot stronger than if you were just you know two people who'd met and decided hey we should start a business yeah okay yeah and when you said times when times are tough so can you describe for us one of the tough times? What is a tough time in this kind of industry? Yeah, well, I mean, if you um, – a tough time would be um, you win a big contract, so you're really – you are – you're feeling really good. Um, it's one of the biggest contracts you've won. And then you start hiring people, and um, not too long after it's awarded and you've started hiring people, then some another company protests the award to your company because they think the government didn't do something right. In the, it's not necessarily an attack on you as the winner. It could be an attack on the, they're protesting how the government handled the procurement and made the award. And so then you um, end up having to go to what they do is they put what's called a stop work order in place and they stop your work, which means there's no money coming in and you've hired these people and now you're potentially going to have to lay them off because you can't afford to keep them on if there's no money coming in to support their salaries and, and all of their benefits. So that's, oh, that wow. was one time that was fairly tough. <laughs> that's pretty tough, yeah. <laughs> and that's not common? Or is it? Um, it's become more and more common in recent years because more and more companies are protesting because they feel like they have nothing to lose. Because if they can even just get the government to say, okay, well, you protested, but we don't think you should win the contract. However, we're going to go ahead and recompete the contract. Then they're, get, they're given another chance to try and bid on it. Oh, you're kidding. Wow. Okay. Interesting. And so uh, how many people roughly work with uh, AMSG now? Uh, we've, we've, you know, the, when we started off, we were about two, three, four, then we went to 10, then we were stuck at about 17 people for about three or four years. And now we're right around 50. Wow. That's great. Um, so who are the most important people to you as you were building your business? What, who affected um, you most, would you say? I, it's interesting that you ask that question because um, sometimes the answer isn't quite the obvious one, like, well, it was a salesperson that we hired that got a big contract. I honestly say from within AMSG, it's always been a team effort. There have been some pure luck kind of things. Somebody went to a trade show and they heard about an opportunity. They gave a business card to the government person, and then the government person remembered us. And, and included us when they put the RFP out. And if we hadn't been included, we never would have even known about it. And then other times, and, and somewhat in recent times, um, it has been um, people um, that are partners of ours, uh, companies that we work with that have called um, uh, the biggest contract we've won to date is with the Army's Training and Doctrine Command at Fort Eustis, Virginia. And that contract was won because I got a call from a friend on a Friday afternoon, and he said, Jim, I've got another, I work with this other company. They currently are the incumbent on this very large Army contract, and they can't compete, do the recompete because they don't have the right contract vehicle. Remember back to what I said about having the hunting license. So they didn't have the right hunting license that the government was going to put the new contract on. 
So he says you need to reach out to them right away. They're looking for a service-disabled veteran-owned small business, which you are with the contract vehicle that you currently have. And so I reached out to them right away, and we got on their team, and now we became the prime, and we won our biggest contract ever. So that was nothing to do with anyone that we had hired into the company. That was just being a good neighbor, a good friend, and keeping relationships alive with other people. And and number one, obviously, being people of uh, integrity and character so that they look at you and they say, these are people we could trust to work with on something that, you know, they had put their heart and soul into for the previous five years working on this contract, and now they were being told they were not going to be able to continue it as the prime. Well, well that's a great, <laughs> that's great information, and I especially appreciate your comment about character and integrity, because I think that makes a big difference in business. Yeah, yeah that's so, something that we're real, real high on at, at AMSG is, is operating with integrity and character, so... Uh, let me segue for a moment. You also work very closely with the uh, Travis Mannion organization. Is that true? Yep, that's true. I, I am an active participant, active volunteer with the Travis Mannion Foundation. Uh, for those who don't know, Travis Mannion was a Marine who went to the Naval Academy. Um, we found out a few years ago that he actually grew up in our in our neighborhood in Alexandria, Virginia, Um for part of his growing up years, and uh, he went off to the Naval Academy, and he was in Iraq, and they were his unit was ambushed, and he was um, killed while he was saving two of his uh, young Marines. He was putting, kind of, shoving them underneath a Humvee for safe to be protected, and he got the Silver Star for that action, and he was the only one in the unit that was killed in that ambush. Everyone else survived. Hmm. So the Travis Mannion Foundation, the family created that foundation to um, build character and inspire veterans and families of the fallen to build character in, the, in future generations. And what that means is we, we get some training in character and talking about things like moral courage, uh, integrity, leadership, and service. And then we go into high schools and middle schools and talk to kids about um, what does it mean to be a person of character, and how does that happen? It happens starting at a very young age, not just because you um, turn 18 or turn 21. We, we call it building your, your character muscle memory, and you do it every day, whether it's walking down the hall at school and picking up a piece of trash off the floor or you know, not cheating on a test. It's, it's all about building your character each day. Mm, wonderful. And um, I appreciate that, that segue or you filling me in there. So um, what are the most uh, rewarding parts of being a business owner in your mind? I think it's the impact that you can have on other people, whether it's um, employees that you hire and you, you help mentor them and they mentor you. Um, and then your customers, how, you know, the impact you can see on um, them, uh, they're basically sometimes their work lives are transformed because of the work that you do. Uh, I'll give you an example. A few years ago, we started a contract at the Department of Veterans Affairs. And um, when we came on board the contract to start up, they, we obviously, we always do kind of an environmental scan, you know, what's going on here? How are they operating? How, what business processes are they using? Or do they have any business processes? 
And in this one case, they were using a 7,000 line item Excel spreadsheet to do um, work of managing some of the training that goes on at the Department of Veterans Affairs. And they would literally email a 7,000 line item spreadsheet out to the field activities at the VA. So we implemented a web-based um, solution with a database and things like that so that they could easily um, keep the information up to date and they didn't have to do a bunch of emailing and they didn't have to ask their, their customers to fill out a spreadsheet that was, you know, 7,000 rows and it was A to double Z in terms of the column width as far as going out to the right on the columns. So it was, it was insane. And they, that, that was what they'd always used. And so then when you show somebody something like that, you know, one person, she was almost in tears how, once she saw how it was going to work. Um, now, so, I like Excel, know, can, but that's too much. Yeah, <laughs> that's too much. much. A lot of people, and a lot of people do. A lot of people love Excel, and then, but it can just, you know, every tool for the right, you know, the right tool for the job as opposed to I have one tool, so I have to use it for every job. <laughs> um, yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. All right. Well, so what is your biggest lesson learned from running your business? Um, let's see. The biggest lesson learned. Wow, that's a good one. Um, I guess it's um, kind of managing the the inevitable ups and downs. Um, it's trying to stay. Uh, you know, I always think of like the sine curve and how it goes up and down and up and down and trying to be a leader um, who's in a small business like this, who is a steady, steady state. You don't get too high on the highs and you don't get too low on the lows because all, I had somebody tell me one time that every day you walk into work, you're walking in naked. <laughs> I was like, what? You're walking in naked? And they said, yeah. You know, basically everybody is looking at you. And this is whether you're in a large business, a small business, you work in the government, you work in a nonprofit. If you're leading, then people are always watching you. And they, and they want to know, you know, wow, the boss has a really bad uh, frown on his face today or her face today. What's happening? Is something bad? Am I about to get fired? And, they're, you know, occasionally people's minds can run wild. So rather than that, you just, you know, try to be nice and caring and show character. And when the times are tough, I mean, that's the lesson that I've learned is face the problem. Um, when you're in your most uncomfortable state that's when you have when you're probably learning and so Mm. for me as a small business owner there's a lot of time when you are in an uncomfortable state it could be that you're worried about cash flow to make payroll because you've started a new project um you know you're when you just like most businesses you start a project let's say on march 1st you can't invoice the customer for that project until at least March 30th, let's say, and they aren't going to pay you until May 1st um, or possibly June 1st. So you may potentially go 60 to 90 days without ever seeing a payment, and you're using your line of credit and you're, you know, managing it that way. But um, those are the kinds of stressful times when you have to just say, you know, they're um, this is, you know, I'm being, I'm, I'm part of something bigger than myself. I'm helping employees um, have lead productive lives and they have children that they're paying for their college or they're paying for their preschool, you know, and, and so, you know, it's, it can be a burden at times. What is that hmm. expression? Heavy is the head that wears the crown. I, I, yeah. I'm reminded <laughs> of that frequently. 
Yeah. So. <laughs> That's interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you also, yeah. Uh, last time we met, uh, you talked about transitions, and I thought that point was very good. Could you tell, talk to us about that again? Well, I, my, my life philosophy on transitions, whether it's, uh, you know, talking to military active duty folks who are transi- transitioning to become veterans and transitioning into the private sector, into, into private life, um, they, um, you're, my philosophy is that you're always going through transitions your whole life. Um, I told the story uh, recently about, the, um, about getting a job the summer after seventh grade and working on a construction site and going from having been a newspaper boy to by myself, and, and it was a very solo type of effort to being part of a team um, and, and the ups and downs of that, working with all these older people, um, and that was a transition. Then the transition um, to high school, the transition into the military, the transition out of the military, the transition from one job to the next, that basically you're always transitioning. And I do think that the military gives our veterans um, a, a real leg up in that department. I mean, I think, I don't know if they, if they would believe me or not, but because you do um, PCS moves, permanent change of station, and, you're, and if you're married and have kids and you have your family, then you're transitioning from one job to the next. Um, yes, they have. They provide a lot of guidance. They tell you what uniform to wear. They tell you what food you're going to eat in some cases, you know, on a daily basis. But there's a lot of also a lot of transitioning that goes on in the military, and I feel like that makes uh, veterans, uh, you know, great candidates for employment. Great. Well, Jim, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for talking with us today. I really, really appreciate it. And as usual, you're amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Amanda. I appreciate you having me on today.